Well, happy Easter to all of you. He is risen. <laughs> uh, my name is Jonah Bissell. I am the pastor here at First Baptist Freeport, and I have just been so overwhelmed uh, by this entire week, Holy Week, uh, but especially these past few days. Maundy Thursday, the day on which Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Good Friday, the day which commemorates the death of Jesus on the cross. Holy Saturday, a time in which we walked through the stations of the cross, and now Easter Sunday with a sunrise service and us gathered here this morning. Um, so for all of you who are visiting this morning, I would encourage you, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, we have these visitor cards that Aaron mentioned, but also our bulletins. There's kind of a tearaway portion, um, but... You can stay after. We're going to have some refreshments and coffee and just extended time of uh, fellowship so you can get to know some of the funky people who make up this congregation. Um, so thanks for, for being here. This morning in America, at least, there are about 300,000 churches gathered to celebrate Easter Sunday. 300,000. And so that means there are at least 300,000 preachers possibly preaching right now, <laughs> speaking a, a message on Easter Sunday right now. And my guess is that most of those preachers are talking about the triumph of life over death the removal of wounds and suffering, and the blessed hope that Easter brings. The common progression that we see in kind of Christian thought around this time of year is that there is life, a life lived, there is death, the cessation of life, and then there's resurrection, which is a kind of recovery of the life that went away at death. So life, death, and then resurrection back to life. Is this an accurate portrayal of Christian belief? Now, among the holidays, holy days, that make up Holy Week, you think of Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and others, there's one day in particular that I feel has been tragically neglected, especially among Protestant churches, and that is Holy Saturday. Now, where Holy Saturday isn't neglected, it's often framed triumphantly. You might have heard of this tradition called the harrowing of hell, the idea is that Jesus dies on the cross on Friday, and then he descends into this place called hell where he preaches, triumphantly preaches to the, the souls that are imprisoned there. He, he loosens their shackles in victory. Victory comes as early as Saturday, so they say. But friends, on the very first Holy Saturday... Among the disciples of Jesus, and I would argue in the heart of Jesus himself, there was little 
triumph. That was a day on which the Son of God, the the long-awaited Messiah of Israel, this desperately sought political liberator, was dead. He was dead. There was no sign of guaranteed hope on Holy Saturday. The disciples were caught, stuck in a state of hopelessness, depression, and despair. And the Son of God felt abandoned by His Father. Friends, it's only through Holy Saturday that we get to Easter Sunday. It's not after or over or behind Holy Saturday, but it's through Holy Saturday that we get to this day. The new life of Easter, and there is new life today, but the new life, I would argue, is not a recovery of this pre-Friday kind of life. But it's a new kind of life all together. Now, this brings me to the study of trauma. Trauma. Trauma is ubiquitous among human beings. Uh, you think about veterans coming home and dealing with PTSD and other disorders, but not only that, not only instances of abuse, sexual or domestic abuse, we've seen in our country wars, we've seen pandemics, we've seen mass shootings civil strife, natural disasters, trauma is real. Trauma has thus become a a principal subject in a number of academic disciplines, one of which is theology, theology of trauma. So a lot of theorists define trauma as suffering that remains. It's kind of an overliving in which a person experiences a a death event, an event of overwhelming violence, trauma, but instead of dying and passing away, they're forced to live with that event after. Post-traumatic existence, then, is, is a state in which death and life are not really separate, but they're blended together in some incomprehensible way. On Friday, we have this hero, the king of the Jews, the Messiah of Israel, hanging naked upon an instrument of torture. We have the disciples, the mother of Jesus, weeping. If anything, friends, we have trauma. The cross is trauma. That means, then, that the new life that Easter brings is a post-traumatic kind of life. And friends, there are two passages in the New Testament that speak about the reality of this life, the life that we share with Christ as believers, a life in which death and life are blended somehow. So we're going to look at those texts together in just a minute, but before we do that, let us center our spirits with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, what an intense week, a week in which the full spectrum of human emotions 
are brought to their utter extreme sorrow, anger, confusion, fear, hopelessness, and yes, joy, but all together this week, Lord. Help us to to make sense of what Easter really is, to make sense of, of what kind of life you have to offer us today, Lord. Be with us this morning, Jesus. Bring us to you, Jesus. May you be glorified, Jesus, this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So the text that we're going to look at come in Paul's uh, letter called 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. And so we haven't been in 2 Corinthians, um, so those who are visiting, and we're not going to be in there next week, you're not really coming in in the middle of something. We're all on the same page literally here. So 2 Corinthians, um, and the excerpts are going to come in chapters 4 and 5. Uh, let me just say that Paul established this church congregation in Corinth, the capital of Achaia, which is now Greece, um, and he wrote a series of letters to this church. He established the church, and when it was strong enough, he went away, and then immediately some people came in and started to call into question Paul's authority. So among other things, 2 Corinthians is Paul's way of uh, bolstering or arguing for his, his apostolic authority, but he doesn't do that in the way you'd expect, appealing to worldly categories, credentials, things like that. He actually points, rather, to his weakness and his sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And so the passages we're going to look at fall in that uh, context, but they apply to the life of all believers, all who associate with Jesus. So 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 11, and 5, 14 through 17, the words will be on screen so you can follow along but you can also follow along in your pew Bibles. So I'm going to read uh, these verses, and now as you are able, friends, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
You may be seated. So here we have two short passages that are related, but which speak of the believer's existence as a state in which death and life coexist. That's the first passage in chapter 4. And the second excerpt in chapter 5 uses this language of new creation. So Paul is pointing to to his existence and, and the existence of believers holding the death of Jesus and his life together, and he calls that thing new creation, something new that we celebrate today. So what I'd like to do is just walk through these passages, uh, commenting on some of the details before closing our time with some words of application for us today, this morning. So let's look at chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. The verse right before our passage, uh, which you may be familiar with, uh, talks about the apostles, and all Christians for that matter, as being like these disposable clay jars that were used in antiquity. Now, it's kind of like our bottles today, which I guess shouldn't be disposable. Now that's kind of phasing out, but, but things where the material doesn't really matter. And in this case, it was used as a lantern often. And so these earthen vessels worked better if the, the, the surface, the material was thin, almost translucent, And if holes were poked or there were cracks, the light would actually shine out of it better. So Paul talks about himself as as a jar of clay which houses this treasure, this light, which is likely the gospel or the Holy Spirit and or perhaps both. And so that is the the image that he uses. And then in verses 8 and 9, we get four pairs following the same pattern. He says, in every way we are this, but we are not this. And I think, grammatically, that this phrase, in every way, even though it's only included in verse 8, I think it goes with, it's meant to go with, every pair. Paul says, as apostles, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we are, in every way, afflicted. The language of pressing hard on someone almost in a crowd, pressure, affliction. We are afflicted in every way. In every way, he says, we are perplexed, confused, at a loss, not knowing what's really going on. In every way, we are persecuted, common word in the New Testament. We are hunted down, we are pursued by others. In every way, we are struck so hard that we fall onto the ground, struck down. Paul says, you'll know of my authority, you'll know that I'm the real deal, that I'm a follower of Jesus, because I'm afflicted, I'm perplexed, I'm persecuted, I'm struck down, but, 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 although I am afflicted in every way, I am not crushed. I'm not utterly crushed. Although I am perplexed and confused, I'm not completely bewildered. Although I'm pursued and persecuted, I am not utterly forsaken. These are the words of Jesus on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Even though I'm struck down, I'm not ruined. I don't perish. I'm not destroyed. In verses 10 and 11, Paul spells out in greater detail what he means. We as Christians, as those who've connected our lives with the life of Jesus, we always carry in the body the death of Jesus. Now, this word for death is not the common word for death in Paul's letters. This is not the word which signifies the death event, the moment at which your organs stop functioning, that, that moment in time where you, you flatten out, your vital signs are flat. This is death as process. If you buy a plant and you fail to water it, you can see it get yellow, you can see it lose its leaves, it's dying, it's deteriorating. As human beings get older, uh, certain parts of their body start to fail, and then all you talk about is, you know, what's going wrong with your body. No, sorry. But that is the idea, this death as process. could also be translated killed as Jesus was put to death, but I think this image of a deterioration and decay is better. The idea is that as Christians, we carry this decay of Jesus, the, the, the movement of death in our bodies, so that the life process, vivification, vitalization, growth, development, life, if you were here last year and saw our baby twins, you'd see now that they have grown, they've developed life. We carry that life process, too, so that it may be manifested through that earthen vessel, that jar. Verse 11, he says, We who live, Christians who are alive, are always being handed over to death. The same word used to describe Jesus being handed over to the Roman authorities. We are always being handed over to death for Jesus' sake, again, so that the life of Jesus may shine forth in our frail, mortal flesh. One of the best images to communicate what's going on here is the image of compost. We uh, used to have a lot of land, and we raised chickens and ducks and various animals, and, and we raised them for meat. And along with our vegetable scraps and the, the viscera of our, our birds, we would put all that into a pile. So death into a pile, but after a few hours even, we'd come back to stir the compost, and it would be bursting with larvae, with worms, gross, I know, but life. This was a place in which death and life coexisted, in which death actually bloomed into life, and I think it's a helpful image for us today. So moving on then to chapter 5, Paul talks about new creation. But first in verse 14 he says, What motivates us to get out of bed given that we are walking compost? <laughs> I mean, what, what is our inspiration to keep, to keep going, to keep moving, to keep working? He says, the love of Christ. 
And he isn't primarily talking about his love of Christ here. This is Christ's love for Paul. The love of Jesus motivates us to keep living with this death in us. And this is not just any love, but a love that issues forth in this, that one, he says, one has died for all. Therefore, all, in a sense, have died. The Son of God, capable of a perception beyond anything you could imagine, tastes death, and not just a moment of death, but Holy Saturday, death, separation. The love of Christ for us, shown forth in the fact that He would willingly face infinite trauma, for us, is what gets us out of bed in the morning and helps us keep going. Verse 15, he died for all in parallelism with 14, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. That, that kind of life, that selfish life, has died with Jesus on the cross. And now they live a life for the sake of the one who died, who died for us. In verse 16, Paul says, we've been given new eyes. He says, from now on, in this state in which death and life are are mingled, this post-traumatic state in which we're crucified every day, we see the world differently. We don't perceive anyone in fleshly terms and in the, the standards that you see in the world, even though we used to think of Christ that way, we don't think of him thus any longer. The life we now live is is entirely unique. It is unprecedented. It means that we move in the world, we perceive the world differently in an entirely new way. And summing it all up in verse 17, he says, Therefore, on the basis of all of this, if anyone is connected to Jesus... He doesn't say if anyone perfectly trusts and never doubts in Jesus, but if anyone says, I I, I need someone else to save me, I need Jesus, I don't know everything, but I need him. If anyone's in Christ, new creation. There's none of this he is in the Greek. All there is is new creation. If anyone exists in Christ, the entire universe has been remade. A universe in which we perceive people differently, in which death and life are not separate like they used to be, but they're held together. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Can I get an amen? (laughs) New creation is what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. It's not a refurbishing of the old creation. It's something entirely new. Friends, the central event, I would say, of the Christian faith, and perhaps this is up for debate, but I would bet on it, the central event is the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus. In other words, the central event, the heart of Christianity is the traumatization of the Son of God. It's an event of incomprehensible suffering in God. I would argue suffering which remains 
even after the resurrection. I don't have time to talk about this at length, but you'll read accounts of eyewitnesses at the tomb. And one thing that the gospel writers note is that Jesus identifies himself to his disciples by his wounds, his unhealed wounds. In the Old Testament, you'll read about this Messiah figure, this this suffering servant, this man of sorrows who carries the trauma of the universe in his body. And so at least right now, before he has made all things new, death and life, suffering and hope, they exist together. It's no accident then that believers, Christians, are said to die every day or to carry this death process in our bodies. Suffering and trauma, friends, are not incidental experiences that you just step over, push through, and put behind you. Rather, they're the stuff of new creation. It's the clay of new creation. About four years ago, I've told some of you this story. We were living in North Carolina. I was about to finish my first year of grad school. I was taking four classes at once. I was working almost 30 hours a week in the piercing North Carolina sun. And one night, I don't know if it was night, morning, whatever, it was wee hours of the morning, I guess, and I had the most vivid dream of my life. I woke up utterly terrified, covered in sweat, heart racing, and I felt completely different. I found out after that this was a stress-induced panic attack, which led to months of clinical depression, for which I needed medication, counseling, psychiatry consultations. I'm still dealing with some of that today. What I noticed and what I remember about that time was how utterly different everything felt right after. We would go on walks right next door in this neighborhood, familiar neighborhood. And I remember the day after this panic attack, we'd go on a walk. And although I remembered walking there, the place felt cold, unsafe, unfamiliar. The the cognitive information was there, but all the feelings of familiarity and warmth were gone. I was feverish. I was on edge. I thought I had any number of physical diseases. I had no idea what was going on. And there was one moment in my counselor's office, between doctor's appointments and psychiatry consults, where I finally, I just came out and asked, Am I ever going to feel like I did before? I felt like in a moment, this flip, this switch just flipped. My life flipped. My personality, I felt, was different. My identity was taken away. Everything was different. Am I ever going to feel the way I did before? And you know what she said, my counselor? Bless her heart, this woman. It was silent for a few moments. She looked at me and she said, Would you know 
if you did. He said, if you woke up tomorrow and, quote, felt like you did before, would you even know it as such? At that point, friends, everything clicked in me. I had been desperately wanting to recover the life that I had before, to flip the switch back, as it were. I had assumed that this current new, I would call it a post-traumatic state, I had assumed that it was categorically bad, something to move past. But when she said those words, I started to see it differently. I started to to consider that this new state in which a little bit of death was blended with life, this unprecedented new state in my life, was maybe something to embrace. Now, let me just say a huge caveat here, that there are some in this room who have experienced trauma far worse than anything I've ever experienced. I am not saying to you today to embrace the flashbacks, the sweats, the, the rushes to the emergency room. I, I am not saying that. What I am saying is that the experience of trauma survivors matches the experience of Jesus Christ. To identify with Jesus is to identify truly with a trauma survivor. With a God who was traumatized for you. For you. So you could be made new. Made something entirely new and unique and unprecedented. To identify with Jesus is to identify with a God who took the world's brokenness into himself. To form the clay, the clay of this new world. The new world, at least as it stands right now, is a world in which death and life are mixed. In which the the slaughtered lamb of Passover somehow is this strong lion of Judah. It's a world in which uh, the, the, the broken, the diseased, the sick are the healed, are the healthy. And with all of that said, friends, this morning, I want you to make a decision. I really do. I want you to choose to identify with this Jesus, broken for you, to identify with him. Not to to perfectly go your whole life, never failing him, never doubting him, but, but to say that that is what I need to identify with him or to choose to remain at a distance. Those are the choices. I'm not going to have you say a sinner's prayer, donate any money to this church or become a member, nothing like that. I simply want you to identify with Jesus, to embrace the life that he has to offer, and to become a new creation. Easter is a day of resurrection, yes. 
It's a day of life and a day of hope. Yes, yes. But the life that emerges on Easter is strange, unprecedented and new. And it's that life that Jesus offers you today. Easter may be the single best day of the year to say yes to the risen Christ. My prayer for you is that this Easter, Easter Sunday 2023, yet you would say yes to Jesus. And in saying yes, that you'd become today a new creation. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your wounds, Lord. By your wounds we are healed. And they are wounds, Lord, that are not just erased, but which remain. The world has been traumatized, Lord. Evil and violence run rampant in our world. We as Christians, as as bearers of this, this treasure, this gospel, have everything to say to trauma. I pray, Lord, that we, this day and moving forward, would not look away from suffering, that we would not come out with an answer, a solution for it, but that we would sit with those who are suffering, sometimes just breathing with them, and that we would embody the death and life of Jesus together in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.